You are listening to the Live Diet Free Podcast. I'm your host, Esther Avant, personal trainer, sports nutritionist, and weight loss coach. I'm here to help you lose weight for the last time without sacrificing your quality of life to do it. So pop your headphones in, go for a walk, and learn how to become the healthiest, happiest, and most confident version of yourself. Hello, you guys. Welcome back to the Live Diet Free Podcast. We have another book review today. This is actually our second book by John Acuff, and this one is called Soundtracks the surprising solution to overthinking. So hello, raise your hand if you (laughs) overthink things, just wherever you are. If you're on a walk, if you're in the grocery store, in the car, just raise your hand. (laughs) Um, So I know this applies to all of us. If this is your first episode, that's a book review. Basically the deal is I read books that I would want to read anyway, that I think are really interesting that you might not feel the same way about. And then I give you the gist in really actionable takeaways so that you can apply the lessons to your life without spending the time reading the full length thing. But if you are so inclined, absolutely, I encourage you to get the book yourself. So I need to do a little bit of defining here because you might be wondering what soundtracks even means and how it applies to overthinking. So if you have listened to previous episodes, I've talked a lot about the mental component of weight loss and really of achieving any goal. One of those things is learning to recognize and change limiting beliefs that you have about yourself, about the world, also referred to as invisible stories, scripts, that sort of thing. So in this book, the author is using soundtracks to describe your thoughts that the thoughts that you have kind of on repeat in your brain are like the personal soundtrack for your life. And when you listen to any thought or, you know, any song long enough, it becomes part of like your life playlist. And then over time, we can just end up feeling like we're at the mercy of this playlist that it's kind of on shuffle. We don't know what's going to come up, but once the song is playing, there's nothing we can do about it. And that's really where overthinking comes in. As I'm sure you are well aware, overthinking the author defines as persistent, repetitive thoughts that you spin on longer than is necessary, and they tend to lean towards the negative. He actually mentions that we don't have a word in English for the opposite of trauma, because we typically don't have positive memories that just pop up uninvited. That You're like, oh, I was just sitting here minding my own business, and suddenly I thought of this really happy thing that happened 10 years ago. If you've had a memory pop into your mind out of the blue, it's likely something embarrassing you did or something upsetting or something kind of neutral that you have made negative. Typically when we're kind of spinning on things, it's the negative ones. So continuing with that kind of analogy, he talks about how broken soundtracks are these negative stories that we have about ourselves and about the world that play automatically with basically no effort on our end. Those are just the beliefs, the stories that are kind of on repeat that we don't even realize our stories because we think they're true. We've just believed them for so long. We've thought them for so long. And then he refers to how each of us has a pocket jury, which is a collection of our broken soundtracks, which actually reminds me, we stumbled on like a flea market here the other day. And I assume it was all like bootleg stuff, but there were several people selling major DVD and I think even some CD collections. And I was thinking about what a, what a throwback that is, but also probably a lot of them were broken. Anyway, that's a little bit of an aside, but here we are. Um, so anyway, your broken soundtracks are what kind of 
judge your life. That's like kind of your your baseline. So whenever you try to be different, improve yourself, have something that's more than what you currently are, or where you currently have, those are the stories that start to pop up and tell you like, who do you think you are to go after this promotion? What makes you think after all these years, you can actually lose weight? That, that's your pocket jury kind of speaking up and being like, uh-uh, this is all you'll ever be. So he talks about how our brains kind of jump on this tendency to overthink by a few different ways. One being how the accuracy of our memories decline over time, but we remain just as confident in those memories. So he actually talks about a couple of studies that were done regarding really major events, um, September 11th being one of them. And I think that the Challenger uh, crash was the other and how they interviewed people and had them write down their memories very shortly after the event happened. And then they followed up with them, you know, a year, two years, five years, 10 years later, and had them do written statements of their their memories of that event. And that they would just change drastically over time. And even when the people would read their initial memory, what they had written down right after the thing happened, they'd admit like, okay, that does appear to be my handwriting, but that doesn't sound like what I'm reading doesn't seem to be accurate. That's not what I remember happened. So just that generally speaking, and this is, I've talked about this before when it comes to our food journals, that we think we're good at remembering what we've done and just kind of recalling stuff. And we're just not. So your brain is telling you, yeah, yeah, I think you only had, you know, two chips probably like that's that's it and in reality it was all the whole bag minus two chips um so that's one way that overthinking kind of takes on a life of its own is you just can't remember what actually happened so you take kind of this kernel of truth and then it morphs into this really seemingly traumatic experience that you're now remembering a decade later and that's the second way that he mentions our brains taking this overthinking and running with it is reacting to social rejection as if we have been physically traumatized. Um, And then lastly, believing what we already believe, that once we have this story or the soundtrack, our brain starts to look for evidence to support it, and you look for what you find. So all of that, a little bit doom and gloom, that you're like, okay, great, so my brain is kind of in on this, and how am I ever going to break this cycle of overthinking? Fortunately, we have the power to change the songs that we don't like, right? Just like you can press skip in your your CD or you can change the channel when you're listening to the radio or, you know, whatever we do these days on, on our phones. Um, we can change our everything by changing our thoughts. And actually he mentions neuroplasticity, which is changing the shape of your brain by changing your thoughts, which is so wild. As I've mentioned before in several episodes, Our thoughts empower certain actions and those generate your results. So what he talks about is how it's not just picking the right soundtracks to just play on repeat, but that those soundtracks will make it easier to then take the actions that are going to get the result that you want. So, okay, that's all kind of like laying the laying the groundwork for what overthinking is, how to know if you do it and why it feels like such a major thing. 
So he really breaks it down pretty simply in that there are three steps to changing this. And I will warn you right away, they sound very simple. And I know that in practice, they are not as simple as they sound. But I'm going to go through all of the things that he recommends and kind of share a little bit of, of my own in there. So step one is to retire those broken soundtracks. Put that old CD back in the case. It's full of skips and scratches. You don't even really like the songs anymore. It reminds you of your first, you know, first high school breakup. You don't have any business listening to that soundtrack anymore. So that's kind of the deal here is just get rid of them. And again, I know you're going to say, well, sure, that'd be really nice. But if they pop up unannounced, how do I do that? We're going to talk about that in a second. Step two is to replace those broken soundtracks with new ones. So I got this shiny new CD or I got XM radio in my car. Now I'm putting on a soundtrack that I like a lot more. That makes me feel good. It makes me want to take action, um, inspires me, that sort of thing. And then step three, this is, I think, one that a lot of people overlook is to repeat those new soundtracks until they feel as automatic as the old ones. And this I want to just highlight for a second because I think it makes a lot of sense to us in other areas that repetition is the key, but sometimes that just kind of falls falls short and we don't realize that it extends to things like this as well. So, you know, you're you're well aware, although you may not feel like it in the moment, you're well aware that, you know, one day of eating in accordance with your goals isn't enough to actually get you there. You need to keep doing it. That showing up for one workout isn't going to change your level of fitness. Getting one good night of sleep is not going to change how tired you feel in the morning. Taking one shower is not enough to keep you clean for forever, right? We know that there are things that need to be done consistently and that the more we do them and the more consistently we do them, the easier they feel and the more automatic they feel. But I feel like when it comes to thought work, we all just kind of collectively are like, meh. Seems like a lot of work. I don't really know what you're talking about anyway. I don't think that it's going to work. And if it did, it seems like it takes a whole lot of effort. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and kind of bitch about how hard it is. So this is just like anything else. It takes repetition. And as I'm sure I've mentioned in other episodes, when you think about how many times you have played that old soundtrack and how many times you've played the new one, of course, the older one is the default. You've played it hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of times. You just don't have that kind of track record with the new stuff, but you will if you keep at it. Just noticing that I said track record, which is like totally an unintentional pun. That feels good. All right. So he talks about how a lot of people don't work on their thoughts, like I was just saying, and says that it's likely because you don't know where to start. So let's start. Step one, retiring those broken soundtracks. So you might be thinking, how do I even know that they're broken? They just feel true. They're just what, I, what, I, what I've always thought. How do I know if they're not true? So ask yourself. He's big on three. So we've got three questions to ask ourselves. Question one, just outright. Is it true? Is this thing I think true? Is it true that I am not a morning person? Is it true that I can't do, I'm too tired to do anything after work? Dispute it with facts is one way to go about this. So actually, you know what? On the days where I have an early flight to catch, I'm eager to jump out of bed and get to the airport so I can get this vacation started. On the evenings when I have something I'm looking forward to with my friends or if I have a date night, I have plenty of energy to do something after work. So see what facts you can find to dispute 
this thought. Another suggestion is to get a second opinion. So just ask somebody, is it true that blank? And he talks about how it's a lot easier to see through other people's lies than your own. So this second opinion that you get, this is, you know, this really ties in well to coaching because a lot of times our coaches are kind of this objective sounding board where our clients will come to the calls and, you know, kind of relay all of these broken soundtracks, these stories to us of, well, I couldn't do this because that, this is just how I am. And having a coach who is objective and remains neutral and doesn't jump in the pool with you is able to say like, hang on a second, do you really think that's true? Because what I've seen is this, here's some evidence that I have that suggests maybe that's not just who you are. Maybe that doesn't have to be how it is. So getting a second opinion, kind of getting outside of yourself can be super helpful. And then the third is to look at the thought behind the thought. So if you're familiar with the five whys exercise that I've talked about before, where you're kind of peeling back the layers of like an onion, why do I want to lose weight? Because I'll be more confident. Why do I want to be more confident? Because blah, blah, blah. And you kind of get deeper and deeper into your root motivation. So we're sort of doing the same thing with our thoughts that you have this kind of surface level thought that might seem pretty innocuous and it might seem like it, it's not really a broken soundtrack because like, well, it's not, it's not a bad thing. But when you start peeling back the layers, you realize it actually is kind of masking a negative thought a negative belief that I have about myself. So um, a lot of times it ties back to unworthiness or, um, you know, feeling undeserving of taking time for yourself or things like that. So kind of scratching beneath the surface and figuring out, okay, this thought itself, like what's really underlying that when I say, or when I think this, what is my brain actually meaning by it? And is that thing true? So that's step one, to start identifying these broken soundtracks. Step two is to ask yourself, is this thought helpful? <laughs> this is a really good one because a lot of times you, you know, maybe, maybe, okay, you, you cannot be convinced that this is untrue, but you can probably acknowledge that it's not helping you move forward. And in fact, it's just keeping you stuck. So if you are identifying yourself as an emotional eater or an all or nothing person or have always struggled with moderation or um, not somebody who likes to exercise, any of those things, those are just some kind of <laughs> run of the mill, pick, pick from your bookshelf, uh, broken records. Are those things helpful? When I think this thought, does it help me move forward toward my goals or is it keeping me stuck exactly where I am? Is it just kind of perpetuating me getting the same outcome that I always have and kind of rationalizing why it can't be any other way. So is it true? Is it helpful? And then lastly, is it kind? So a lot of us think we need this like tough love drill sergeant. Like that's just, I just need somebody to yell at me and like make me do it. Most of the time you don't. Most of the time you're your own drill sergeant and that's what needs to change more than anything. You certainly, if you're an overthinker, you certainly don't need somebody else to pile on and be telling you the same things that you're berating yourself with. That's not what you need. You need someone who is going to help you be kinder to yourself by being kinder to you and showing you that you deserve that kind of, I don't know, self-interaction. So is it kind? When I think this, does it help me feel better? Am I encouraged? Am I inspired to take action? If not, that is a broken soundtrack that you should work on replacing. And he also mentioned this a statistic. I can't remember exactly where it came from, but he does a lot of his own um, kind of studies. He has a big, big audience and he'll kind of give them experiments and have them report back and things like that. But um, in any case, 73% of people who were surveyed report that overthinking makes them feel inadequate. 
I haven't come across very many people who are like, yeah, I overthink all the time and I love it. <laughs> so that's what you want to be reminding yourself is yes, it's, it's hard work potentially to identify these broken soundtracks, but it's worth it because you want to feel adequate. You want to feel inspired. You want to feel encouraged. You want to feel better. You want to feel like you can move forward. So asking yourself when you're analyzing a soundtrack, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it kind? And I want to mention that this isn't in an effort to beat yourself up about believing the broken soundtrack where now you're piling on and you're like, oh, see, I'm an all or nothing person and I didn't even know that that was a story I was telling myself and now I feel you know crappy because of that. Um, and he actually mentions just using the, the phrase, I guess the sentence, oh, well, as a way to kind of refocus yourself on moving forward and not beating yourself up about having the broken soundtrack. So instead of, you know, kind of piling on and then feeling worse about, about all of this, you just say, oh, well, now I know. What am I going to do about it? So this, uh, this part of the book I really loved because he actually talks about on-off switches and dials. So if you guys have listened to, I don't know which episode it is exactly, probably several, I talk about how most of us have our nutrition and our effort our nutrition and exercise efforts on switches. We're either all in doing all the things or it's dark in here, we're doing nothing. And that you're so much better off when you work on having your efforts on a dial, like a radio dial or a light dimmer where you can turn your effort up and down. So he talks about how this is the exact same thing. So you've got your exercise dial, you have your nutrition dial, now you've got your soundtracks dial or your stories dial, whatever you want to call it. And the goal when the broken soundtracks start to play really loudly in your head. So when the overthinking starts to get really loud and and kind of take over, your goal is to turn down that volume. You're not trying to shut it off entirely because that's putting you in a position where you're trying to be perfect and you feel like you have complete control over it. Um, And that kind of gets you in that cycle of just looking for a new switch. Oh, I tried meditation one time, that didn't work, so what's next? I tried uh, journaling and that didn't work, so what's next? Instead of just thinking in terms of what are the techniques that I can have in my tool belt to help me turn down the volume when my overthinking gets loud. And like I mentioned in the beginning, sometimes it feels like our brain just picks these soundtracks at random and you don't have any say in the thoughts that pop into your head. I haven't mentioned it in a while, but one of my favorite, I'm paraphrasing now, um, quotes is about how you can't stop a bird from... Uh, landing on your hair, but you can prevent it from building a nest, something like that. Um, Point being, no one's expecting you to control all of the thoughts that pop into your head. Very similarly, one of the, I don't know, arguments I think people make against meditation is like, oh, I can't, I can't just not think, I can't turn my brain off. That's not the point at all. The point is for you to start acknowledging your thoughts and just letting them go, not letting them Build, build this nest in your head, not letting them get comfortable and lead to overthinking and spinning out, but instead acknowledging that's just a song that came on the radio. I don't like that one. Move it along. Next. Um, and he talks about how the antidote to overthinking is taking action and that having a variety of mechanisms to turn down that overthinking is super helpful, obviously, because some of it's going to be contextual that, you know, you might love to just be able to get up and go outside and get some fresh air, but that's not going to help when you're overthinking in the middle of a work meeting and that sort of thing. Um, so he gives a whole list of 
suggestions. You'll be able to think of plenty of your own. But some examples are some form of enjoyable exercise. And I don't mean that you need to get up, change your clothes, do a really intense hit workout, take a shower, have it be a whole, whole thing. Like, what would... What would you get? What would get you up and moving and get some endorphins going and raise your heart rate a little bit and just kind of help you get out of your head? If you're enjoying this episode, I want to invite you to join us in Foundations. Foundations is our six-week group coaching program designed to help you remove every obstacle standing in between you and the weight loss you're after. Learn how to overcome the overwhelm of getting started, stop buying into BS that only yields short-term results, and learn how to master the big rocks you need to lose the weight and keep it off without sacrificing your quality of life in the process. Whether you want to lose 15 pounds or 150 pounds, we can help you in foundations. For all the info and to join, go to estereyvent.com slash foundations. Doing a five-minute chair yoga or stretching at your desk. Standing up if it's if it's an option. Standing up and going outside for a few minutes. Taking a taking a quick walk. Doing you know a set of push ups and a set of squats. Going up and down the stairs a couple times. Just anything to kind of get you get you moving and take you out of your head. Another technique he encourages is some sort of mental distraction. Ideally, that comes with directions where you're just kind of like following along. So he uses Lego sets as an example. I recently got, it's not exactly like a paint by numbers type thing, but it's a canvas that has the outline of a bunch of flowers on it. So you're basically just painting within you know, the petals and the leaves and stuff like that. I found that to be very therapeutic. All I'm doing is thinking about what color do I want here? And you know, let me stay within the lines. And um, that's been great for just kind of turning my, turning my brain down. I've also liked, um, there's, I don't even know what they're called. There's like these tiny little, they're obviously not gemstones, but like jewel looking things. And you basically like stick them onto a canvas and they make a pattern like a um, mandala. So I don't know if those are called, I don't know how you'll Google that, but that's a thing. Um, You might find that doing something like Wordle or a crossword puzzle or a Sudoku, just something where you're kind of mentally distracted, a coloring book, that sort of thing just helps you turn that volume down. Another that I know some of you will use against yourselves, so have the self-awareness to know which of these are, are going to help you and which aren't, um, but lists can help if you're feeling like your brain is just kind of buzzing with all the things that are on it, start jotting down some lists. And um, you know, if you're going to go down the road of making lists of your lists and putting right list on your list so you can cross it off your list, maybe that's not going to help you here. But um, like I said, some of this stuff is contextual where sometimes a list will help, sometimes it won't just something to think about. He also encourages minor tasks that have a really big payoff. So something like bringing the, this is such a funny thing to, to know that it's like such a universal experience, but I grew up in a house with stairs and I remember my mom would put, you know, whatever stuff on the stairs get taken up and I would regularly just like climb over them. (laughs) Wouldn't take them up with me. I would go out of my way to avoid them and then go up without them. And now I have experienced that several times myself where I'm like, do you guys see what's on the stairs? Can somebody just take it up? Um, So anyway, so that's an example that he uses of if there's a roll of toilet paper that needs to go upstairs, take it upstairs. It'll feel good. You'll check something off. You'll feel productive. Maybe it's, you know, filing some papers or paying a bill online or ordering the thing that's been on your list for forever. Sending a text that you've been putting off, cleaning out your inbox a little bit, just something that's not going to take very long, but you feel like kind of gives you a little win. That'll help turn down the volume on your overthinking. And he also talks about having an outlet, whether it's journaling, talking to a friend, just uh, he actually specifically says talking out loud to someone can help. 
Um, and then also paying attention to the words that you're using. A lot of times we use this very disempowering language, like, you know, the traffic this morning ruined my day. I was, you know, the day started off well, and then I hit traffic on the morning and it was all downhill after that. So instead of giving the traffic that, um, you know, instead of presenting it like the traffic has that power, actually say outright, I gave the traffic this morning the power to determine the quality of my day. And you're like, well, that seems silly. (laughs) Maybe I should stop doing that. Um, and he also mentions that it's not negative to acknowledge where there are problems, but that you don't want to stay there. And I know I've talked about this before, that we want to be solution-oriented, that we tend to overfeed our problems and then starve our solutions. And like we mentioned earlier, we, being me and the author, I guess, um, we look for evidence of whatever we believe. So if we're telling ourselves this is a big problem that has no solution, that's what we're going to keep finding evidence of. But if we decide, okay, this is what it is. Oh, well, what am I going to do about it? Then we can start thinking outside the box, get a little creative, brainstorm, figure out what are some viable options here? What am I going to try? And then the solutions start to present themselves. So that's step one to retire those broken thoughts, broken soundtracks. And again, remember that we're not talking about like a one and done type thing. These old default thoughts are going to creep into your head from time to time, probably for forever. And I talk about this in one of the relatively early episodes about uh, what progress actually looks like. That I think I I mention it in in reference to emotional eating, but the same thing holds true here. That what you'll find is that it happens less frequently. It feels less severe when it does, and it doesn't knock you down for as long. So you might still notice that thought popping up I don't have time or I'm going to fail or whatever it is, but instead of having it constantly on repeat in your head, maybe you notice it a few times a day. And then maybe you go a day and you're like, huh, you know what? I don't think I thought that at all yesterday. And then it just starts to get less frequent, quieter when it does happen, instead of it like really rocking you to your core and feeling like this is a really true thing that is exactly who I am. I feel so exposed and you know all that stuff. You're like, oh, well, yeah, that's that old thought again you're better able to put it in its place. And then you have the techniques to move forward. So even though retire is step one, it's not like you progress from step one, step two, step three, and it's all done. You're going to continually be questioning, is this true? Is this helpful? Is this kind? You're going to be continually using those techniques to turn down the volume on your overthinking. Um, And then you're going to be continually working on replacing them and repeating the new thoughts. So step two is, is replacing those soundtracks with new ones. And this is something I've worked on myself since I started working with one of my business coaches several years ago. And it feels really weird at first. And you don't necessarily fully believe it. And he actually talks about that and how in the beginning, you might not even know what to replace those broken soundtracks with. You've, you've resonated with those so deeply that you're like, I don't even like, whoa, what else even is there? So he talks about how helpful it can be to just borrow soundtracks from other people. And I know that a lot of you are Peloton enthusiasts and probably have your favorite instructors who have, you know, the words of wisdom that they give during their classes Maybe some of those are soundtracks that you adopt. I know like Christine has, I can, I am, I will, I do something. I think that might've been it, but something similar to that. So maybe that resonates with you, but borrow soundtracks from wherever 
wherever you find them, whether it's reading a book, maybe it's some sort of graffiti on the bus stop, maybe it's your Peloton instructor, just wherever you kind of hear or see something that you're like, you know what, I could try that on for size. That's a, that's a new thought that I might like to think again. I actually have an example of this from working with that business coach. She had said once, not even in a, in a session, but just in like some of her social media content that she doesn't entertain self-doubt anymore. And I remember like probably literally rolling my eyes and being like, okay, well, that's nice for you, but I'm not you and I have plenty of self-doubt. And then it just kind of got lodged in my brain. And I was like, you know what, over this is, we're talking like over the series of weeks, months, years, that just kind of stayed in my head. And I was like, you know what, maybe, maybe I don't want to entertain self-doubt either. And over time, I have silenced the majority of my self-doubt and have taken on that kind of soundtrack for myself. I don't, I don't have time for self-doubt, something along those lines. One that I think a lot of you may have picked up from me is sometimes you just need to parent yourself. I know that that episode, maybe like 25, I don't remember exactly when it was, but um, the episode about parenting yourself is one that is, is among the most popular. So you haven't listened to it, go back and find that one. But that's one that has really struck a nerve with a lot of our listeners and a lot of our clients who have kids is that's like kind of how you respond to that broken soundtrack of I don't wanna, or I don't have time, or I'm too tired, or whatever kind of whiny tantrum you're throwing you just tell yourself, well, sometimes you just need to parent yourself. Too bad, doing it anyway. Another one might be, I'll feel awesome after when you're putting off your workout and you're thinking of all the things that you'd rather be doing or should be doing, or um, you just kind of remind yourself it's, it's going to be worth doing. I'm going to feel really good after. One we've been talking about in our client community is reminding ourselves that whatever it is we're doing is exactly what we want to be doing. That if it wasn't, we would be doing something else. And that's not to say it's without consequence, but that we do have a lot more choice than we think we do. You might be telling yourself, I don't want to be at work, but you do because you want to make your own money. You want to keep your health insurance. You want to keep the roof over your head, whatever it is. So ultimately you're there because you want to be, you might not be, you know, jazzed about the work that you're actually doing in this very second, but you want the result from doing it. Therefore you actually do want to be doing it. Um, Another one he mentioned mentions, I think is great for when, things are not going according to plan is pivot, don't panic. And just kind of reminding yourself like, this is not a problem. I can be flexible. I'll figure this out. So he encourages just like jotting down, keeping a note in your phone or a a notebook or whatever of any kind of soundtrack or like catchphrase of interest and just see which ones kind of resonate with you, which ones you want to take on board and make part of your soundtrack. He also talks about how inaction breeds overthinking, which is such a frustrating catch-22, I know, because you aren't taking action, say right now, and you're thinking nonstop about it. And because you're thinking about it so much, it's hard to get started. And once you do get started, because you're taking action, you have less time and energy to overthink things. So you get kind of caught up in this positive spiral, but it's hard before you've gotten that momentum going. So a couple questions you can ask yourself are, where do I want to win this week? And really taking responsibility of changing the soundtrack so that you will accomplish that goal. So where do I want to win? What soundtrack is going to, is going to encourage me to accomplish that goal? We're not saying that the thought is going to effortlessly 
get the result. The action is in between. But what thoughts are going to help you take the actions that you need to take? And then following that up with what are the actual actions? So where do I want to win? AKA, what do I want to accomplish? What thought, what soundtrack is going to encourage me to do that? And what actions will I need to take? Another suggestion he gives as far as replacing your broken soundtrack goes is to just basically do the opposite of it. So pick whatever soundtrack it is and flip it on its head. If you consistently tell yourself, I don't have time, start telling yourself, I make time for the things that are important to me. If you continuously tell yourself, I don't know what to do, remind yourself, I'm the only one with the answers. He also specifies that you never beat an old lie with a new one, so that we're not talking about just faking it till you make it here, but about generating new thoughts that encourage new action that will take you to a new place, that will get you a different result. When you are trying on these new thoughts, it's really helpful to start writing down the evidence you have that they're true, because we want to build the belief in the new thought you're telling yourself. We have an entire module about this in Weight Loss Mindset Mastery. You can check out um, sraven.com slash mindset. But we're not saying just like make up the stuff where you look in the mirror and you say, I'm a, I'm a beautiful goddess and I love every inch of my body. You start where you are. So in the, in the author's case, he talks about wanting to become a public speaker, having never spoken in public before. And that instead of telling himself, I am the best public speaker that this world has ever seen, which obviously he wasn't going to leave, he told himself, I think I can be a public speaker. He just kind of nudged the door open a little bit to entertain the possibility. And then he was able to find evidence either in his own life or just in the world in general. So someone else, a speaker that he admires who also didn't have any experience when he started, or the time that he gave a speech to his fraternity, or the family meeting that he led with the the three people in his family. Any small bit of evidence you can find to support that new thought is going to help build your belief in it. So like I said, when we were talking about being a morning person or not having the energy to do stuff after work, if you're looking for evidence that those things are true, you'll find it. If you're looking for evidence that the opposite is true, you can find that too. And if you can't, if you're racking your brain, you can't think of a single uh, instance where the new thing is true for you specifically, find it in somebody else. Not to compare yourself, not to say like, oh, well, they're better than me because they did this thing, but more so if it's possible for them, it's possible for me too. For example, if you're a business owner and you want to have a million dollar business, it's pretty hard to convince yourself I'm a million dollar business owner when your business has generated, you know, $1,200. But if you can find other million dollar business owners, okay, if they exist, then it's possible. If it's possible for them, why wouldn't it be possible for me too? So that's kind of what I mean by nudging that door open a little bit. We're not saying like fling it wide open. You have, you know, you believe these things wholeheartedly, but that you are willing to find the evidence and that the effort that you make is the best form of evidence. So if you want to become a public speaker, if you want to become a morning person, if you want to plan your meals at the end of the day, whatever it is, start making an effort towards doing those things, even just one day. Tell yourself, all I have to do is this one day. I'm gonna wake up one day 
to my alarm at five o'clock and do my workout. I'm going to sit down with my fitness pal and plan out tomorrow's meals one time. That's it. I'm not making a lifelong commitment. I'm doing it one time. And then once you've done it that one time, you have undeniable evidence that it's possible for you. You have proven to yourself, I can be someone who does. And then all you have to do is decide, can I commit to that one more time? And you do it enough times, it becomes who you are. Which takes us to part three, which is repeating these new soundtracks, these new thoughts out loud, as many times as it takes until they play as automatically as the old ones. And I know we would all prefer if I could give you a time frame. I could say that means repeating them 30 times or that means repeating them 6,000 times, but then they will be 100% automatic. That's not how it works. You guys know we've talked about building habits in previous episodes that certain habits take longer to build than others. We are never perfect. This is no different. You're going to repeat these time, repeat these things over and over. You're going to slip a little bit back into those old soundtracks. It's not a problem. You continue repeating the new ones as long as it takes until those are the ones that take over and become the default. He actually has some really interesting information about positive kind of mantras. And I know a lot of you might be rolling your eyes. That's my general response to, to mantras also. But he said he kept running into successful people who were doing some form of, you know, we were using mantras in some way. And then it just kind of started to stack up that he was like, if all these people are successful and they all are attributing some of that success to the mental work that they do. And that mental work includes saying positive things to and about themselves. Maybe there's something to be said for it. So like I said, he has a pretty big audience and he will often kind of ask them to experiment with things for him and report back. And they have kind of this better than anecdotal um, evidence about, about things. So he came up with Um, I think he calls it a new anthem. It's basically a a set of mantras. And he encouraged the people in his audience to repeat those things out loud to themselves in the mirror twice a day for 30 days. And was just blown away by the comments that people left and kind of what what the outcome was. So just to start, I know that this feels ridiculous and you might already be rolling your eyes and like, okay, cool. Well, I'm not going to be talking to myself in the mirror, so we can just skip this part and move on. Um, But it's really pretty interesting. And so he talks about how he has this Facebook group where people who are doing the experiments can comment and share. And that one woman said, if I can't do two minutes of facing the discomfort of saying nice things to and about myself, then I'm really not going to do the tougher things. And I feel like that just puts it in such a good perspective. When we have initial resistance to something, it's so important to not just give into it. Criticism is usually a cover for some sort of discomfort. We tell ourselves that this is the reason, but in reality, it's because, you know, we don't want to feel foolish or whatever. But isn't that a great reframe that, okay, what would, what's really so bad about saying something nice to yourself in the mirror and doing it consistently. If you're, if you're not willing to, to have that slight discomfort, how are you going to tackle the bigger things that are going to, you know, the, the bigger actions that you need to take in order to reach your goals? So the outcome of people doing this twice a day for 30 days, and he stressed that, you know, they weren't perfect. They missed a couple days here and there, that sort of thing. But that 
the there were 10,000 people who did it and they were two and a half times more likely to reduce their overthinking, which is I know is a weird way to phrase it. Um, but they were very much more likely to overthink less. And the more consistently they repeated these positive mantras to themselves, the less they overthought. They were more productive towards their goals. They had higher satisfaction with their results. They had less self-doubt and they had more pride in their accomplishments. So that's pretty compelling, right? All you have to do is look at yourself in the mirror and say a couple nice things like that. That doesn't seem like that bad a trade-off. I know I've mentioned before my experience with journaling on goals and how one of the, this is in Weight Loss Mindset Mastery as well. I walk you through it and I have a, a journal for you to print off and, and do. But how one of the exercises my business coach had me do was journal about my goals for 30 days in a row. And I would rate my confidence and my commitment to that goal. I would write about why I gave myself those numbers. So usually they were pretty low. Um, and I would get out kind of all of the broken soundtracks. I don't have enough time. I don't know what to do, blah, blah, blah. And then I would write my thoughts if I had already accomplished that goal or if I was 100% confident that I was going to, what would I be thinking then? And that it really kind of did feel like magic. I did it every single day. And in the beginning, I couldn't think of, think of a whole lot of the positive stuff. I was referring back to like, what did I say yesterday? Yeah, I guess I still mean that too. And it was like pulling teeth. And then by the tail end of the month, those new thoughts came so much more quickly to me just because of the repetition. I didn't have to look back and see what I said on Monday because I know for three weeks in a row, I've been telling myself, I do have time. I do know what to do. I am capable, all those things. So the, there's really something to be said for the repetition in this and just kind of getting over the initial embarrassment or discomfort of doing something that feels so silly and just acknowledging like, okay, if, if there's so much that I could potentially gain from doing this, why wouldn't I? Another person in his Facebook group made a comparison to being a sports fan. I don't know how many of you are, are sports fans, but especially if you're a fan of a team that's not very good, this will really hit home. But she was talking about, I can't remember what, what her team was, but that she cheers just as loud for them at every single game. No matter how many times they've lost, no matter how bad they're losing, she still shows up for them. She still watches. She's, they're still her favorite. She still encourages them. And like, what would happen if you cheered for yourself as loudly and as consistently and no matter what as you do for your favorite team. So with that, I want to share with you the weight loss manifesto that's in Weight Loss Mindset Mastery. And this is a series of 10 basically mantras that you could use to do this experiment yourself. And I would love if you tag me on social media, if you take on this challenge of saying this in the mirror to yourself once in the morning, first thing, once in the evening, right before you go to bed and see how much different you feel at the end of the month. So these are, I am the architect of my life and I am building my foundation. I am going to continue to learn and to show up for myself. I make time for things that are important to me. The universe wants me to succeed. Simply by starting, I'm better off. I'm worthy of being a priority. I always know what to do. I'm in the driver's seat. I'm indestructible. It gets to be easy. I can have it all. 
So if you have weight loss mindset mastery or you are a one-on-one client, that's in your dashboard. If you want to get it, you can go to sraven.com slash mindset. This manifesto is just one very tiny piece of it. It's in our negative self-talk module. There are 15 modules. This is a one of the best things I've ever created. So you should really get it for yourself. But otherwise, you can just play back those last couple of minutes, write these down for yourself and start saying them to yourself in the mirror. First thing in the morning, last thing before you go to bed for 30 days straight and see what that changes for you. Hopefully this episode was helpful for you guys. I appreciate you tuning in and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Live Diet Free Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've listened to them all, I appreciate you being here. One way you can help this podcast succeed is to subscribe, rate, and review it. If you don't mind doing those things, I would love to thank you with a copy of our weekend survival guide designed to help you have weekends you enjoy that don't set you back from reaching your goals. Just send a screenshot of your review to admin at estheravant.com and we'll send it over. And don't forget to check out estheravant.com slash foundations for all the info about our six-week group coaching program, Foundations, designed to help you remove every obstacle standing in between you and the weight loss you've been after.